Are you ready for God's word? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, well, second service today, I've got a uh, a very, very um, impactful message, so to speak. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge. Now, it's not gonna be a challenge in terms of hard to hear or hard hitting in turn uh, in in light of like, wow, that was really convicting. It hit me, hit me deep. Pastor, you stepped on my toes, or wow, that was that was tough to hear. No, it, it's gonna be tough in that we're gonna cover a lot. And we're gonna cover a lot of verses. And so if you have something to take notes with, I'd like you to get ready. I'd also uh, like you to get your thinking cap on and uh, and lean into God's word, amen. Lean into God's Word because we've been talking about the church. Today, I want to talk about something that, that is near and dear to the church, but it's not the church. And so what I want to talk about today is the kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom of God. Because so many times people think, well, the church is the kingdom and the kingdom is the church and they're interchangeable and that's not exactly true. Well, is the church the kingdom? Is the church not the kingdom? Yes and no. You go, Pastor, you're not making any sense. What I'm trying to tell you is that the church is a part of the kingdom and the church manifests the kingdom and the church calls the kingdom forward. The church lives by kingdom rules. You go, okay, I'm getting, see, a lot has been said here recently about the kingdom, but I just want to ground what we say today in God's word. And so uh, I, I want to shed some light on this subject of the kingdom. And the first thing I want you to consider is rule and reign. Because when we talk about a kingdom, you're talking about a king who rules and reigns. You're talking about an authority, a sovereign, someone that is that is over all and, and is supreme in their decision-making or intention. And so we're talking about the king of all glory, Jehovah Yahweh, three in one. And so I'm going to invite you to go to the book of Acts. While we're going to be spending a lot of time in this sermon series in the book of Acts, I don't want you to think this is a study about the book of Acts. It's not. It's just where we go to see how the church was, uh, was started. What was the, uh, the starting point and what God did in the uh, inception of this great, great body of Christ we call the church. And so in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3 to 8, would you read with me? To whom he also presented himself alive. To whom he also presented himself, oops, almost fell right off this platform. I'm not used to sitting on the, on the, on the stool, so you have to pray for me. Here we go. Let's start again. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. What does that mean? It means he was authenticating himself as the king of glory. What do you, what, what do you, see, anybody can claim in a resurrection. It's a different thing to prove it. Here, the Bible is saying he proved it. How did he prove it? 
He proved it over 500 times. The Apostle Paul says that he appeared, uh, and, and the Bible says he appeared to over 500 witnesses. He appeared to his disciples. They saw him walking around. This is what sparked the mighty move of the church. Think about it. You have a move of God under huge uh, 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 challenges and obstacles. You know, what kind of challenges and obstacles? How about death? If someone's threatening you and threatening your life, are you going to follow after a lie? No, you're not going to follow after a lie. You're going you're to be convicted only by the truth. And here the Bible is saying he presented himself alive, giving all of those who saw him courage to speak the truth all the more uh, with more conviction with more fire in their belly. And when they threatened them, they couldn't quiet them. They continued. Why? Because they saw the proof. They saw Jesus in the flesh speaking to them, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so for 40 days, he's been, remember I told you yes, last week, he's been appearing and disappearing, appearing and disappearing, appearing and disappearing. And he was talking to them all the while about the kingdom of God. And this happened over 40 days. Would you put the chart up there or the, the timeline? I want you to know that you have the crucifixion. That's when Jesus was crucified. Three days later, we have the resurrection. He resurrects from the dead. He appears to many witnesses, over 500, over 40 days. And then you have the day of Pentecost. How many of you have heard of Pentecost? We hear of the denomination, the Pentecostals, and they, they, they're named after this faith, faithful day where the Spirit of the living God descended. Now, it's called Pentecost because penta means five, and it was on the 50th day. On the 50th day, the Holy Spirit comes down. But let's continue reading. Verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. So he gives them a very simple command. Do not depart from where? Jerusalem. Instead, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. What did the, pro what did the Father promise? Well, he says, remember what I told you? And I want to remind you of what we've studied over the last two weeks. We studied the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. This is why Paul calls him the spirit of adoption. Because you're not an orphan. You have been chosen by God. If you believe in God, you have been if you have given your life to Jesus Christ as Savior, you have been chosen and adopted by the spirit of adoption. So here he's saying, the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, from John, for, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will, this, uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I want you to think about what's happening, okay? I want you to think about what's happening. It's the end of the 40 days. Jesus is about to be raptured into heaven. He's going to leave them, not as orphans, but he's going to leave them with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He said, not many days from now. 
So in about 10 days, you're going to receive this promise. I need you to go and wait. How many of you would have waited? I think it's a good idea to wait on the Lord. Okay, so he's about to be raptured. They're not going to see him anymore. They're going to have the Holy Spirit. But this is an important moment. And what do they ask? The same thing that's been confounding them for years. The same thing they've been arguing about. The same thing they're getting in discussions and tips about and going, you know, Lord, will you let me sit by, by your right hand, by your left hand? Can I sit here? Can I be here? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I have a position when, we, when you come and establish your kingdom? Here they are again. Is this when the kingdom is established? Is this when we're going to finally be on top again? Is this when David's kingdom will be reestablished? And Jesus could have gone... You knuckleheads. But instead, consider what he says to them. Consider what he says. He says this. He says, verse 7, And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own, what? Authority. So who has the authority? Who has the answer of when all these things will take place? Now, I told you about this before because many say nobody knows except the Father. That's absolutely true. You go, but why does the Son not know? Because the Son is following uh, the tradition that was found in the Jewish Galilean wedding tradition. When a, when a young man would be betrothed to his wife, his wife-to-be, and actually they were considered legally married at the time of the betrothal, even though they hadn't been physically together, and the wedding had not taken place, but they were already uh, under covenant, under covenant. This is why Joseph said, should I divorce Mary quietly? Even though they had not been together, but they had been betrothed, they were legally married. You remember? And the Holy Spirit comes to Joseph and says, she has not been unfaithful to you. She is giving birth to the Messiah. You need to remain married. You remember that? Because a young man would be betrothed, he would go and prepare a place. This is why Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may also live because you are my bride. The church is the bride of Christ. And this is what would happen. When the, when the groom was done making his preparations, he would tell the father, Father, I'm done. And the father would inspect the preparations. He'd come by and make sure his son had done it right. Fathers, can I get an amen? Come on, how many of you think that's a good idea? You know, and he would and say, I need you to redo this. I think you did a good job here. Way to go, son. I'll let you know when. I get the sense we're in the, I'll let you know when. And it could come at any moment. And so what would happen at that point, man, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to, I'm going to run out of time. I already know it, but, but here we go. What would happen at that moment, he would, he would wake up the son or he would go to the son. He'd say, go get your bride. And the groomsmen would be gathered and the trumpet would sound and they would march on and they would, they would take her and they would place her on a chair that is carried with poles that's called a litter. And they would fly her back to his house. Can I tell you, you are going to be flown to meet your groom in the air. It's called the rapture. It's called the rapture. Now watch. Watch this with me. Because they're asking him about the kingdom, and he says, I, muchachos, I, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do with you guys. And he says this. He says, it's not, it's not about that. 
Instead, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What is he telling them? He's saying, I've got a mission for you. I've got a mandate for you. Do you know when they ask him, teach us about the end? He says this to them in Matthew 24, 14. He says, and this gospel shall be preached in all the earth as a testimony to me. And then, and only then, will the end come. So he redirects them. You want to know about the kingdom? The kingdom is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put that in your notes. The kingdom is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're thinking too physically. This is a spiritual kingdom. And so here, he says to them, you're going to have power to accomplish what I'm calling you to accomplish. You know, it's interesting because Matthew puts it in a different way. This is Dr. Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he focuses on the power. Matthew focuses on the authority. Matthew says, all authority in heaven and on earth are mine. These are Jesus' words. Therefore, go and make disciples of some nations. No, of all nations. Baptize them, teach them, and I'll be with you. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you to the very end of the so what is he saying here? Okay, I, I got to keep going. So he tells them, you got to get going. And then he just... Anyone ever wanted the gift of flying? When I was a kid, I wanted to fly. Spider-Man just didn't do it for me. Jumping around like a little frog just did not do it for me. I want to fly. You know what I mean? So Superman was my guy, man. I, I wanted to fly. You know, Iron Man was my I want to fly. Can, you're going to get to fly if you are in Christ. Because the Bible says that you are part of the church if you are in Christ. And on that day when he splits, when he's not going to split the clouds wide open, not on this day, on the rapture day, he's going to meet us in the clouds and we're going to fly to heaven just the way he did. Now, I wonder how he did it. I wonder if he did it slow, like, I wonder if he did a somersault on the way up. I don't know, but some of us take Jesus too serious. I mean, I think Jesus had a sense of humor. I don't know if he's like, deuces. I'm out, baby. See y'all later, you know. I don't know, but he takes off, and the Bible records the disciples are like. How many of you would have been one of those? I would have. Right? You're hitting your buddies going, did you see that? That's amazing. So much so that the angels come and say, hey, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing staring into heaven? Can I tell you, there's still Christians doing this. Didn't Jesus say Go. Didn't Jesus say, go take this message of the kingdom? Didn't he say, go and pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've got some, some work to do. You've got something to do, church. And so while the church is not the kingdom and the kingdom is not the church, the church has the responsibility to see his kingdom come and establish and to pray for it and to share the gospel message that brings it about. 
And so today I want to talk to you about this beautiful thing called the kingdom. Do you know that the kingdom is mentioned 126 times in the Gospels, but only 34 times after the Gospels? The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so Jesus was heavily about the kingdom. The kingdom was misunderstood by most people. How about you? What do you think we mean when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? What do we mean? What I want to share to you, what I want to share with you today is that the kingdom of God is the essence of the church's message and life. Write that down. The essence of the church's message and life. We are called to the kingdom's life and power in this present time and in the time to come. In the time to come. You say, you say well, what, what, what do you mean? Let me explain it a little further. First and foremost, God and his kingdom is over everything. Over everything. We know this because the Bible says this in the book of Psalms and in other places. But, but, but one, this verse will suffice for now. Because I've got a lot of verses. So, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over some? Over particular parts? Over what? You know what? If you look up that in the Hebrew, in the Greek, in any fancy translation you want, all still means all. It really does. All. So God is over everything. It's not hard to understand this because he is the creator of all, is he not? He is over all, and above him, beside him, there is none. There is none. So, then why would Jesus say the kingdom of God is coming, or we should pray that it would come? Why did he say it is here? Why did he say it is within you? Why did he say it is being established? Why did he say these things? Because what I want you to know is while in a macro sense, in a general sense, God is over all. He's over the sinner and he's over the devil. But in a micro sense, they have rejected his rule. Does that make sense? While God is still over all and he's over all that happens here, he has predestined us free. And while he is ruler over all, he doesn't reign over your freedom of your heart. He reigns over it in a macro sense in that he gave it to you, but he allows you to not put him as Lord of your life. Isn't that true? How many of us once walked with Christ not Lord of our lives? How many of us know people that operate as Christ not being Lord? And this is a temporary state. He's going to bring everything, the Bible says, under his rule and authority. So this is a temporary state. That being said, now do you understand what the New Testament talks about when it talks about the kingdom coming? The kingdom is coming 
to each and every person, giving each and every person an opportunity to say, you know what? I no longer walk under my own rule. I no longer walk in rebellion to the king. I repent and I believe in the sovereign king of glory that came for my good. Therefore, I submit myself in faith and I, oh, come on now. I live and move and have my being in him. And I recognize that. This is why the Bible says things like this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What did it mean the kingdom of God is at hand? Well, Jesus said this because he was presenting the gospel. And believe in the gospel. Watch this. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. That's how you come into the kingdom. That's how you go from just God being a macro, uh, uh, being in the big picture, he is over all, but now in the specific picture, he's over you. He's over you specifically. Now, this is important because you might think, well, if God is all powerful, why doesn't he just subjugate people? Because he's loving and he has predestined us to be free so that he doesn't rule and reign in his power over us, but he rules and reign in his relationship with us, and then his power within us changes us. You see that? See, a tyrannical king could just come and squash the whole thing like that. But he's not that. He wants his rule and reign to be because of relationship. And when you come into relationship with him, then his power doesn't squash you. His power comes into you and changes you. You see that? This is a beautiful thing we're talking about here. Keep going with me. This is the gospel message. Now, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he's tying the gospel to the kingdom. Jesus also says this. Or the Bible also says this in Matthew 4, 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the what? Come on, preaching the gospel of the? And healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. See, what Jesus was doing is saying, hey, there is a usurper in my kingdom. He revolted and rebelled against me. I cast him down to earth, and now he has spread his rebellion to my creation, man. And I must come down and set things straight because I'm a loving king. He's a caring king. I want you to think about this because as the king goes, the kingdom goes. You see this over and over in the Old Testament. You had a good king. The people prospered in peace and joy and love and protection. You had an evil king. And all sorts of atrocities took place. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know you can trust me as a good king. And so here we have, again, in 1 John, the Bible says, he who sins is of the... This is the usurper. This is the one that's tried to use renegade or illegal uh, false authority and establish something against the king and those who follow him watch oh 
are headed the same place he's headed. But this is why God was, look, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then the Bible says in, the, in Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the what? Now do you see why Jesus said when they asked him about the kingdom, he said, hey, stop worrying about that future kingdom when I come back at the end of the age. Right now, the kingdom is going to be progressively and, and, and uh, systematically unfolding as you share the gospel message like I came to share the gospel message. But you're not going to do it in your own strength. You're going to do it by the power of my Holy Spirit. And when my Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to know that it's not about rules. It's not about eating, drinking. You shall not drink this. You shall not eat this. You have to stand this way. You have to do this. You cannot. You got to wash your hands. You got, no, it's not about that. It's about the relationship that happens inside and I will be in you. I will be in you. Keep going with me. Keep going. See, this is a foundational principle of the New Testament. The truth that the kingdom of God is a spiritual reality and dynamic and that it is available to each and every person who wants a relationship with God. And when you come into a relationship with God, the gospel message of the kingdom brings the king into your life and makes you an ambassador of the kingdom and a child of the most high God. A child of the most high God. That's what's happening. It's a spiritual thing. And they needed to get their heads around it. Guys, can I tell you, we need to get our heads around it and understand that there is power and authority when you're part of the kingdom. That's what we're going to be talking about in Elevate this summer. Talking about taking the power and authority when you pray. Taking power and authority when you worship. Understanding that this kingdom is in opposition to the kingdom of darkness. But the kingdom of light, it rules and reigns. It's just better than evil. Why? Even the very definition of the words means that there is this relationship. God's light and his goodness is better than the evil and darkness. It just is. By definition. When you say it, they're not dueling against each other like they're equal. One serves the other. And in time, God's light will eradicate this darkness. But until then, we need to progressively move the kingdom forward by praying, thy kingdom come. And let me share the gospel message that brought me into the kingdom with somebody else. That's what the kingdom is all about. Now I want to focus and finish with the kingdom within you. We're talking about rule and reign. Now I want to talk about the kingdom within you. See, because Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. But then he said the kingdom of God is where? Come on, somebody's within you. What did he mean by that? Because he confused a lot of people. Well, now we know because, Pastor, you've been explaining it. Of course, he means the power of the Holy Spirit. But do you realize we may know it and not live it just the way they couldn't understand it? We might understand it, but not truly grasp it to live it. And so when he says the kingdom of God is within you, he is restoring what Satan usurped and stole. 
See, at the beginning of, of creation, we were given dominion. We fell from that privileged place of, of authority and relationship with God, and we came under the rule of death. How do we come under the rule of death? Well, well read with me. For if by one man's offense or sin, death reigned through that one man. Who was that one man? Adam. Adam ruined it for all of us. Come on. Any guys in the room say, I would have done better? <laughs> yeah, don't raise your hand. That's pride and you just fell. <laughs> you know? So think about it. For if by one man's sin, death reigned through the one man, much more those who received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign. See, notice he's talking about, this is kingdom language. How do we know it's kingdom language? Because he's talking about reigning. Reigning over a realm, reigning over a kingdom, reigning, being under the authority or control of. And here you have man, because of sin, was under the reign of what? Death. What does that mean? It means that death had a perfect record. Do you ever stop and really think about this idea of death? Scary. No, it's not scary when you're 21 and bulletproof. But as you get older and older and older, you start realizing, and, and it's like God has a way of reminding you as you get these little aches and pains and things don't heal the same way, and you start seeing others. And just like we were talking the day Grandma passed, and me and the, and the boys were talking, me and Ricky and Tony and we said, man, life happens so quickly. And Ricky said, just yesterday I was 21. And now he's 60-something. And he said, I know Grandma had a great life, and, but seeing her transition from this life to the next is a sobering thought. It's sobering. And it makes you feel like, I am helpless. And in fact, you are. And that's why Jesus came. And he said, I have conquered sin and death. I've conquered it. So that when you pass, you know there's something. You know for certain there's something. How will I know? Because the spirit of the living God testifies to that. And you no longer feel guilt and shame over your sin because he has washed you white as snow. Pastor, I need some help in that area. Then get in discipleship. Let's talk it out, but let's get you healed. Let's get you healed because God came to set you free that you might have a confidence. This is the kingdom that he's talking about. No longer does death reign over you, but instead watch what reigns over you. Life reigns over you. Grace reigns over you. Jesus Christ in 21, it says the same thing. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What does he mean? It means that when you, when you give your life to Christ, he cleanses you and you are now righteous. Not your righteousness, 
His righteousness is imputed to you, transferred to you, and now God sees his son. He doesn't see you. He sees his son. That's the gospel message of the kingdom that Jesus Christ came to share. He said everywhere he went, he taught about the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. What was the good news? Death no longer has a hold over you. What are you doing? What are you doing? Step into the kingdom. Live under the rule of a merciful king, a righteous king, a good king, a bountiful king, a king that will give you more than you could ever get from the other guy. That's why Jesus said, there's only two. There's only two. There's not many. There's two. One is the devil and one is me. Who do you want? The choice is simple. I want you, Lord. Amen? That's the kingdom. Letting the king rule and reign in your life. I got so much more, but we're done. Now, I have so much more. Should I go for it? All right, all right. Here we go. Here we go. This is why Jesus said things like this. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the what? Here it is again, two verses later. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the? Ah. So there's power in the kingdom. Yeah, there's power in the kingdom to change you and to sustain you and to transform you because what you're being what's happening is by the power of the holy spirit you're starting to walk more and more under the uh, uh, under the dedication allegiance and and life of your king so it's changing you this is why jesus said things like abide in me and i will abide in you that's John chapter 15. Now, I'm sharing a bunch of stuff. Now, I know for some of you, you might be here and say, Pastor, that's going over my head, but I'm not preaching to just beginners. I'm preaching to beginners and those that are reading their word and are more advanced. And there is a move of God in this church. People are reading their word like I've never seen before. I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You contact me all times asking me questions and asking your disciple makers questions. That's awesome. I'm a little bit overwhelmed, but that's awesome. <laughs> Amen? That's awesome. And so this is what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom. And, 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 and so what I want you to understand is that in verse four, chapter 14 of John, he introduces the concept of he's going to send the helper. Remember, we started this whole message with the promise is coming. Ten days later, it shows up, right? Chapter 15, he talks about abiding, and he uses a word picture of a vine. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, then you will bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, I will cut you off and throw you into the fire. Oh, Snap, it just got real. You didn't know Jesus talked like that, did you? No, he's saying this is a serious thing we're doing here. And so when you come into the kingdom, the spirit will live in you. And the spirit brings forth what? Fruit. 
Now you see why Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, you don't belong to me. What is that fruit? Go to Galatians 5. You read all about it. But watch. This is what takes place. So this this fruit takes place. The Spirit is in you. He gives you the power. He also says things like this in his word. That you might walk by the Spirit. That you might be led by the Spirit. That you might live by the Spirit. To live, walk, be led by the Spirit is to operate under the kingship of your Savior. See, what's happening in the church today is everybody wants to be saved, but nobody wants a king. We're too used to the democratic rule of America. We all get a say. Not in a kingdom. In a kingdom, there's one say. His name is Jesus, and he put it in his word. Get to it. You know, so, oh yeah, I, that, I know that's not for everybody. Some of you are going, what does that mean? It's not for everybody. Well, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Anybody can say, Lord, Lord. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. And so when the day of Pentecost had finally come, They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were uh, sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, one set upon each of the disciples, each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devoted men, from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. But why were they confused? Because everyone heard them speaking in their own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? What are they saying there? They're confused because Galilee was a region where they weren't known for being linguists or be super good orators or very articulate. They, they spoke with an accent and it was hard to understand Galileans. So not only is it not hard to understand them, now you're understanding them in your native tongue. That's a miracle. That's like saying, aren't these all guys from, someone said Alabama. <laughs> aren't these all guys from, from Louisiana, or from, from South Texas, or wherever you think people talk funny? That's what they're saying. And this is a miracle. And in fact, the Bible goes on to, to list at least 14 different languages. It lists different people from 14 different places. So at least 14 different languages. This is a miracle. Let's let's keep this in mind. But Peter, standing up, I'm dropping, dropping down to verse 14, standing up with the 11, 
raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. That means listen to my words. Obey these words for these are not drunk men. Some of you have been making fun of them, saying that they're drunk. It's only the middle of the day. They are not drunk. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet. So they are fulfilling prophecy. What is the prophecy? And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, sons and daughters. Can I say men and women will prophesy? Some of us are having a hard time with that. Oh, women shouldn't be allowed to. Shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. So it's not just for that day, even though it was fulfilled that day, but it also is a day to come because the Bible says these things will be happening at the end times. At the end times. But, but stay with me. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So he's saying, hey, This is what the kingdom's going to be doing. It's going to be progressively unfolding as we share, and it happens in our hearts, but someday it's going to be manifested when the king shows up and establishes an earthly realm, and it's going to be an awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call, because this kingdom will march through the ages, and it will be shared over and over and over, and people will be coming in and become ambassadors and establishing it so Jesus Christ comes back again. This is a serious thing we do, guys. It's a serious thing. Then those who gladly receive. Now that's where I want to finish. Do you notice the key to the kingdom is to receive it? He's not going to force you. He's not that type of king. He's going to say, this is how much I love you. And when you receive it, the Holy Spirit comes in. And then his awesome power begins to work. Begins to work. Other kings put their power on you like this. He puts his power in you and says, I love you. Watch. This is the opposite of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had a thing called the Pax Romana. Jesus says, I don't give my peace like the Romans do. They used to brag and say, look at the Pax Romana. Look at the peace of Rome. Yeah, if you stepped out of line, they squashed you like a bug. That was their peace. Jesus says, no, I come and I woo you into the kingdom. And once you give your allegiance to me, then I put my power in you, not on you to crush you. That's what the... Let me share something else. This that you just read is the opposite of the Tower of Babel. The opposite of the Tower of Babel. 
For those of you who are scholars, the Tower of Babel was God's, I mean, uh, the enemy's first attempt at bringing forth an Antichrist. Through the years, he has tried to establish an Antichrist. This is God reversing that evil act at the Tower of Babel. They got together and they were trying to what? Usurp God. He scattered them and confused their language. Now the Holy Spirit gathers them, gives them one supernatural language, unites their heart under holy allegiance to God Almighty. This is what it's supposed to be. And this is why, this is why we preach the truth of the kingdom. Because the king is coming soon. And so I don't want you to go, when's he coming back? You keep looking for signs in the sky. Now get your head in the, in the work. Bring forth the kingdom. Thank you. Lord, thank you for giving us this beautiful privilege to be part of your kingdom. And Lord, by your spirit, would you speak to every one of us? I know for me, Lord, you're bringing into clear realization that I am part of a magnificent realm, a kingdom, and you are seated on the throne. And you, as that beautiful king, provide for me, and you protect me, and you have secured me. And you promised me all sorts of amazing things. And right here, right now, I want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you that you would call me a son. Thank you that you would love me. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life. In Jesus' name. God be the glory. Lord Jesus, thank you. Amen. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week.